You know, during business training, this was back in 2004, and you know, the older I get, the more years there are between me and my stories, so that's a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, but back in 2004, we moved to Durant, Mississippi. Locals call it Durant, not Durant. And uh, so we were in missions training, and one of our first modules was called Christian Life. And there was this uh, gentleman there named Bob Ambrosius, and he was teaching some really challenging material. And uh, so I had lots and lots of questions. And Bob remembers this better than I do, but, you know, week after week he would be presenting material, and, I, you know, my, that familiar thing that, you know, there he goes, Bondi's hand up again. He has another question. And many times after class I would kind of accost him with questions. So he remembers early on me coming up to him and saying that I found myself disagreeing with just about everything that he said, which maybe isn't a good thing to do to your teacher, but I was just so committed to not being satisfied with answers that didn't satisfy my questions. And so that semester, though, was really important for my spiritual development. And the reason that I learned so much, and maybe you've had this kind of experience, is that my questions were not going to be satisfied with answers I didn't understand or agree, agree with. Now, we all know what it's like to satisfy the persistent questions of children, right? Why this, Mom? Why this, Dad? You know, why are the clouds in the sky? You know, what, 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 what makes the fish swim? What makes the bird fly? But those are the easy questions, right? Because they're smiling, they're curious. The tougher questions are when it's, why not? Why, why can't I have that? Why can't I do this? And as they get older, the questions get more persistent and difficult to answer. Because we're trying to explain to them why they cannot have or do something that they want very much. And when things are not going our way as adults, the truth is, is that the easy answers that satisfied us as children are put to the test. So as I said in the first lesson, we learned to delay judgment when we're experiencing hard times. It's not the time to try to figure it out when you're right in the midst of something hard. In lesson two, we learned that we're going to have to move beyond denial by uncorking the bottle of our emotion in order to engage and express how we feel in order to continue our journey toward accepting what God has allowed into our lives. This week we're going to observe how Job responds when his friends, his so-called friends whose worldview is under attack by Job's comments, they begin to attack Job's character. And so he fights back. And as Job persists under fire, he begins to walk a fine line between earnest questions and flagrant accusation. But you know what? Had his circumstances been a little bit less severe, he might not have responded quite the same way. He might not have pushed the envelope like he's about to push the envelope. But desperate times call for desperate measures. And as we'll see, both his legacy, his reputation, and his faith are at stake. And with all this at stake, Job will not be satisfied with simple answers. And I believe that his willingness to stay the course in the face of opposition actually increased his chances of surviving tragedy with his faith intact. Turn to chapter 4 of Job with me. We're going to see one of his friends and what he has to say. Eliphaz, the team and I. Job chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Then Eliphaz, the team and I, replied, If someone ventures a word with you, will you become impatient? But who can keep from speaking? You know, Eliphaz 
has built his life upon the same beliefs as Job, that a good God cares well for good, faithful people. And up to this point, Eliphaz has been patient, but he can no longer endure this assault on his own worldview, his own way of viewing things. Continuing on in verse 3, Think how you have instructed many, how you have strengthened feeble hands, your words have supported those who stumbled. You have strengthened faltering knees, but now trouble comes to you, Job, and you are discouraged. It strikes you, and you are dismayed. He says you've instructed people. You've guided people. You've supported people through hard times, Job. Are you now going to undo all the good that you've done? Are you going to give up when, when now trouble comes to your doorstep? Eliphaz believes that Job has gone astray. And he's bringing this upon himself. So Job's friends, they sat with him for seven days. And they're so moved by his suffering. But the truth is, in their heart, they believe that he's done something wrong. They believe that he has somehow caused this. And so they're pitying Job. But now, when their worldview is under attack, the pity's gone. And they're going to call him to account and say, it's time to face facts, Job. You're, you're in trouble of your own doing. Verse 6, he gets a little more clear. Should not your piety be your confidence and your blameless ways your hope? So we already know what Eliphaz is thinking. So now he's kind of tongue-in-cheek saying, hey, if you're innocent, shouldn't you have confidence in that? And then he gets real direct. Verses 7 and 8, consider now, Job, who being innocent has ever perished? Where were the upright ever destroyed? And you and I now, as we consider it, we can think of some examples. We can think of some good people who experienced hard things. But right now, when his worldview is under attack, Eliphaz is fighting for breath. He's, he's gasping to protect his worldview. He says, as I have observed those who plow evil and those who sow trouble. Reap it. So he reveals what he's really thinking now. He says, Job, bad things don't happen to good people. Bad things happen to guilty people. Now you fill in the blank there, Job. You, you've done something. And then continuing on in chapter 5, pick up in verse 8. We're going to hear the full force of his argument. He says, if it were I, I would appeal to God. I would lay my cause before him, he performs wonders that cannot be fed and miracles that cannot be counted. So Eliphaz suggests that Job just plead with God for mercy. And as we'll see shortly, Job quickly recognizes that what is happening to him can neither be explained by man or resolved by man. So he's kind of alluding to something that Job's already been thinking. You know, Eliphaz is coming at him. He's saying, here's my argument. This is the way it is, Job. And Job's saying, you know what? I don't think these guys have the answers that I'm looking for. Have you ever found yourself in a situation that you didn't directly cause? And at the time, you realized that something bigger was at play. You know, there was a time in my life when I was caught up in a complex organizational situation that I didn't cause. There was a whole lot more going on than my role in it. And as a result, I came under intense scrutiny. I mean, people were looking at me, they were questioning me, they were judging me, and I didn't feel like it was altogether fair. I felt like my role in it was so much smaller than all the, the moving parts 
that were going on. But someone I didn't know very well gave me some really, really good advice in that situation. He encouraged me to focus on what God was teaching me through this trial. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, Dave, you need to make sure you learn the lesson that God's trying to teach you right now. Or he's going to give you another opportunity. So I was in this situation, and it kind of blown up, you know. I, I felt like I was just playing a bit part. And it was a big organizational shift that was going on. And I got caught in the crosshairs. And rather than blaming everybody else, this guy said, you know what, Dave? You need to figure out whatever it is that God's trying to teach you in this situation. Or you're going to get a repeat lesson. Now, not long after this dialogue begins, Job realizes that the people he's debating with will not be able to fully satisfy his questions. In fact, their responses start to sound like a broken record as you, if you read through the book of Job. Eliphaz, Zophar, Bildad, they start saying the same kind of things in different ways. Eventually, there's a guy named Elihu, who's this big educated guy, and, comes, and he says very eloquently the same things. And so Job begins to realize, these guys, they've run out of insight. And to me, that, that, that's a clue to me that God's teaching me something when I'm going through experiencing something. And the people who should have answers, they kind of get this look like, I mean, you've, you've gone above my pay grade. I, I've given you all that I have to say. And when that happens, when people that should have insight run out of insight, I know that God's teaching me something important. And that's what was happening here with Job. Verse 17, he kind of concludes his argument with these couple sections. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? If God places no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who live in houses of clay, whose foundations are in dust, who are crushed more readily than a moth? So he's saying, Job, clearly, if these guys are innocent, then you also are not innocent. Then verse 17 of chapter 5, he kind of lets, lets it fold what he's thinking. Blessed is the man whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. So the Eliphaz now directly implies that Job's at fault. What he's experiencing is God's discipline. And Job needs to fess up, so God will let him off the mat. And then verse 27, he concludes, We have examined this, and it is true, so hear it and apply it. To yourself. So with confidence not bordering on arrogance, Eliphaz punctuates his point. He says, bad things don't happen to good people, Job. This is somehow your fault. Turn with me to chapter 6, and we're going to see Job begin to respond. Because Eliphaz has made his case. He said, this is the way it is, Job. There's nothing you can do to change it. You just need to accept it. So here's Job's response when he realizes these guys don't have the answers that he's looking for. Verse 8, oh, that I might have my request, that God would grant what I hope for, that God would be willing to crush me, to let loose his hand and cut me off, that I would still have this consolation, my joy and unrelenting pain, that I had not denied the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should still hope? What prospects that I should be patient? Do I have the strength of bronze? Stone is my flesh bronze. So Job's now surrounded by scared people. They're threatened by his internal struggle. And Job again pleads for release. But now for a different reason. Because if death now takes him, he can go to the grave 
with a clear conscience. Though Job has lost everything up to this point, his reputation is still intact. And though he cannot control his circumstances, he can certainly fight to protect his good name. Because that's all that he has left. Everything's gone. His wealth is gone. His family is gone. Up to this point, Job's been revered and looked up to. And all he's got left is his good name. And he's saying, if God takes me now, then at least I have that. You know, when life puts you on a stage, how are you going to choose to respond? Because think about times in your life, maybe you're going through one right now. And you can't hide it. You can't hide the pain. You can't hide the struggle and everybody sees and life puts you on a stage, how are you going to choose to respond? You know, this is your opportunity to tell your story. This is your opportunity to make your statement. And the encouraging thing is that for every believer who passes the test, our collective testimony gets stronger. You know, for the person who struggles to pay, pay bills, who clings to and keeps the faith. For the widow who clings to and ultimately keeps the faith. For the widower who clings to through hardship, through suffering, and ultimately keeps the faith. For the bereaved parent who has questions, who clings to and ultimately keeps the faith. For the betrayed spouse who clings to because they need it to be true and ultimately keeps the faith. For the person keeping vigil by the hospital bed who clings to and ultimately keeps the faith. For the person who struggles to stay clean and sober who clings to and ultimately keeps the faith. You know, Hebrews talks about a great cloud of witnesses. And if by God's grace you and I can cling to and ultimately keep the faith when we move on from this life, we become a part of that. We become a part of that collective witness that powerful testimony that has been and is and will continue on. Your testimony becomes our testimony, a message that grows stronger with time. So Job's concerned about his reputation. Verse 21, he kind of fights back. Now you two have proved to be no help. You see something dreadful and are afraid. Job's friends have proven to be no help. Proverbs 25, 19 says an unreliable friend is like a broken tooth or a lame foot. You ever had somebody let you down? You ever let somebody down? So how do we avoid becoming a friend like this when someone we care about is struggling? You know, I think it comes from understanding the process that our friend's going through in our role in it. You know, their job was not to figure things out and pass judgment on Job. Their opportunity was to support their friend and give God room to work. Because we, we just we forget when we get when we see somebody struggling and we think we've got it figured out and we think we know why and we think we know what's caused it. We're tempted to try to pass judgment and try to help them figure out what's going on. What we need to do is love our friend, support our friend, just give God space because we know that he's already at work. Had there been obvious sin in Job's life, they may have had something to talk about in love. But they're assuming what there is no clear evidence of. And in the end, Job ends up praying to remove their guilt. If you know the end of the story. So what if they'd been willing to say just the following two things? 
and that we can say when somebody's going through something tough, number one, I'm here for you. They got that part right for seven days. But number two is, I don't understand. You don't understand? I don't understand, but I'm here for you. I'm here for you. If they'd done those two things, said those two things, they would have been positioned for influence. Because what it's about, it's not about being there when it happens. It's about staying there. It's about walking alongside people. And if we crowd them too much, and we don't leave any space for God to work in their lives and their heart, then we're, we're going to become like these guys did Job. Former friends. Verse 24 and 25, he says, Teach me and I will be quiet. Now they've really got his dandruff. Show me where I have been wrong. How painful are honest words. But what do your arguments prove? They put themselves in the judgment seat. And he says, your arguments prove nothing. Show me where I'm wrong. Show me what I've done to earn this, to cause this. Your arguments prove nothing. So how can you and I persevere in order to keep the how can we do that? First of all, I'd submit to you, don't be bullied. You ever have, you have a bully in school? They powered up on you. They took your milk money. Don't be bullied. This is your journey. Your journey. It's intimate. It's personal. It's unique to you. Take ownership of it. You know, in order for you or I to move forward, we're going to have to find the answers You know, I had a college roommate who got serious with a girl that I didn't think was a good fit for him. You know, he had, he had dated a few girls. He, he started getting together with a girl that was a couple of years younger than him. I didn't think it was a really good match. And I made the fatal mistake telling him that. Yeah, very kind, very, very gentle. And then he married her. And now we're not really friends anymore. So that's what, that's what has happened here yeah, with Job, these guys, they stepped out of line. Just like I stepped out of line. I said something I shouldn't, I assumed something I shouldn't have assumed. So don't let people pressure you when it comes to your faith. Because the truth is, is that shallow faith for today, because that's what happens when we accept somebody's pat answer, when we accept somebody's platitude, or they just say trust God, and we say, okay, I'll trust God, but we're not, our, our questions aren't satisfied with that. Shallow faith for today isn't going to carry you or I through the deep waters of tomorrow. This is your journey. And until you take personal ownership of this journey, this thing that God's allowed in your life, this the way that life has hurt you, then you're not going to be able to accept it. So you and I, we have to take, we can't be bullied. We need to take personal ownership of what we're experiencing. And also, don't bully yourself. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm my own worst critic. I'm hard on me. I expect a lot out of me. So don't bully yourself. Sometimes I speak things over myself that are going to hinder my ability to move forward. You ever done that? You ever accused yourself, put yourself down, crippled yourself from moving forward? I have. Then move on to chapter 7, just a couple more verses here. Chapter 7, verse 7, Job starts speaking directly to God. 
He says, remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. Because he's realized. He's taken ownership of this journey. These guys have run out of answers. And now he begins addressing God. Because he's realized. This isn't between me and them. This isn't about my circumstances. This is about me and God. I, I, I have questions that man can't answer. Just like you and I have questions that man can't answer or fully satisfy. My issue is with God. Verse 17, he says to God, he's feeling under, under the gun now. What is man that you make so much of him? That you give him so much attention? Maybe you, you felt this too. That you examine him every morning and test him every moment. Will you never look away from me or let me alone even for an instant? If I have sinned, what have I done to you, a watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? So he's bordering on accusation. He's expressing frustration with God. And he's realized that his contention is not with man. It's with God. In order to move toward acceptance with our faith intact, you and I are going to need to persevere, as Job did, long enough to realize that our issue is not primarily with man. Your issue is not primarily with that person who hurt you. I've had people who've hurt me, and I realize they're just people. They make mistakes. They have their own issues. But who I'm really upset with is I'm upset that God allowed this. I'm upset that he put me in a situation where this happened. I'm upset that he didn't stop this. I'm upset that he allowed that. He's chosen to allow it. So after Job moves past debating with his former friends, he begins to imagine what it would be like to have an audience with God. This is later on in the story. He starts saying, if I could just talk to God, if I could just have an audience with God, if I could just lay my case before him. And then he realizes how scary that would be. And then he starts talking about an advocate who could present his case to God. And when we kind of fast forward to the New Testament, that's exactly what God in his mercy chose to provide. Can you imagine facing God in judgment? We don't have to do that. For those of us who've trusted in Jesus, Jesus is our advocate. Jesus intercedes for us. So rather than the, the scary thought like Job had of having to face God, we just have to trust Jesus. And Jesus is a lot more warm and fuzzy. I mean, Jesus fed people. Jesus cared for people. Jesus healed people. So Job wants an advocate. And eventually this role for us is the role of Jesus. So don't be bullied. This is your journey. Take ownership of it because that's the only way you're going to be able to move toward accepting it. And then secondly, what's it going to take? I mean, what's it going to take for you to move past this? And once you decide that you actually want to move past it, because sometimes we don't, we kind of hold on to our pain, hold on to our struggle. We don't want to let it go. We kind of nurture it. It somehow comforts us, but it doesn't help us. What's it going to take? To take the next step. Do you need comfort? Come on, what is it you need? Do you need answers? Do you need hope? And as already stated, this is a personal journey unique to you. You know what worked for someone else? Because people are so well-intentioned. Just do this. Just take two pills and call me in the morning. Just read this verse. 
Just read this devotional. It changed my life. It helped me. But it might not help you. And once you decide what it's going to take, you know, between you and the Lord, God, this is what it's going to take for me to move past this. And start praying about it. Pray specifically that God will provide you what you believe you need to move closer toward acceptance. And I would even encourage you to suggest a timeline. God, two months from now, this is where I'm, I'm hoping to be. God, three months from now, one week from now, one year from now, God, I'm praying this is where I'm going to be, and I need your help. I need you to provide me encouragement. I need you to provide me hope. Maybe, maybe some answers. And again, this isn't shaking your fist at God. This is communicating with your Heavenly Father and saying, I need help. And I think this is what I need. Can you help me? Please help me. When life hurts us, we either feel abandoned by God or like God's picking on us. And because we're right in the midst of our struggle, one thing we lack is perspective. And this is why Job's engaging his imagination. He envisions what might need to happen in order for him to move on. And by directly addressing God, he is essentially praying for God to respond. He just wants to hear from God. He wants God to respond to him, to validate what he's experiencing, to validate his pain. So lastly, expand your perspective. That's what we need. So don't be bullied. It's your journey. Then ask yourself, what's it going to take for me to move to take the next step? And then we need to expand our perspective because looking at hardship from only one angle is going to leave us both helpless and hopeless. You know, in Job's case, this angle was on his back while suffering both physically and emotionally. So how do we begin to expand our perspective that is limited by our pain? What are you thinking about when you're in pain? What are your children thinking about when they're in pain? <coughs> Nothing. Right? Just the boo-boo. Just the pain. And so we need to expand our perspective. And how, how do we do that? I'd say consider stories from the past. Particularly how God has helped you through things in the past. Things that you've gone through in the past. Also consider scripture. Think of ways that God has come through before. What about Abraham? All the ways that God came through for him. What about Joseph in prison? And God came through for him and he became the number two in Egypt. What about Moses who said he was afraid to even do public speaking and God used him to lead Israel out of Egypt. And what about David? As we were talking about this morning, he made some, some terrible mistakes. Suffered some unimaginable consequences. Ended up going to war with his own children. And yet at the end of his life, the summation was that David was a man after God's own. And God redeemed his mistakes. So consider the past. Consider your future. And I know this is difficult when you're right in the middle of something and all you see is the dark present. But consider your future. God, I'm praying that you're going to help me get there. This is where I want to be, God, in three months, six months, one year, two years. I don't want to think about it. All I want to do is just, is just go away into my room. I don't want to leave the house. I don't want to get out of the bed. I don't want to go to work. I don't want to do anything. But prayerfully, God, this is where I want to be in the future. And I need you to help me to get there. And then consider your present. 
in light of both the past and your desired future. You know, as long as we're stuck only in the present, because that's what happens, right? We just get stuck. That broken record, the things we tell ourselves, the things that we're frustrated about, the things that we're upset about. As long as we're only stuck in the present, we're going to be blind, both to the encouragement of the past and the promise and hope of the future. You know, a lot of times when looking at the challenges of the present, I am quick to forget the past. I've told you this before. I forget all the things that God's done for me to help me through hard times in the past. Because I'm so focused on the present. And then I just tend to assume gloom for the future. It's like it's been great up till now, but now it's bad, and it's only ever going to be bad. Anybody ever been there? Yeah, be honest, right? We get stuck in the present. We're just stuck. We need God to help us take a step out of it, provide something that we need to move forward. You know, the worst, this worst-case scenario of thinking, that's what I specialize in. You know, what's the worst-case scenario? Let's think about that. You know, it feels gritty. feels courageous, but it leads to long periods of discouragement. I mean, studies show that it's faith that helps us through hard times. It's not realism. It's not cynicism. I mean, that doesn't help anybody. It's faith. So what if you and I could be able to push through the hard times with our faith intact? What if we would refuse to be bullied by ourselves or others into giving up? What if we would decide that we want to move past this and decide what it's going to take? What if we'd be willing to expand our perspective to consider our present in light of both the past where God's been faithful and the future where we're praying that he's going to take us? You know, if we would cling on to and eventually keep our faith as Job did, we might have the joy of knowing that one day, one day our story, you know, the hard things that you and I pushed through, we cried out to God, we, we took ownership of the journey, we expanded our perspective, we, we said this is what it's going to take, God, I need, I need your help to get there. Then our story, our testimony becomes a part of that great cloud of witnesses. And you know what I'm talking about. It's maybe that person in your past. Maybe that grandparent, maybe that parent, maybe that uncle, maybe that friend, maybe that pastor when you were young. And you saw what they went through, and you saw how they suffered, and yet they hung on. They hung on for just one more day, and they hung on for just one more day long enough to where they kept the faith. And now that's a part of your testimony, because you saw it. Not because you heard it. Not because you read it, but you saw this lived out in the life of somebody who went through something really, really hard, and yet they came through. So let's let, by God's grace, our testimony of how he carried us through and how he's going to carry us through become a part of that global testimony that Jesus is true. And that God's strength really, really is made perfect in weakness. Amen. God, thank you for this morning and just for this uh, challenging story of how Job went through unimaginable tragedy, God. And how he refused to stay stuck in denial. But he gave you the benefit of the doubt, but he knew he needed to move past that. God, he engaged, he expressed himself, and then he started talking to you. He realized that his struggle and his upset was with you. And how he refused to take those pat answers 
Those simple explanations. He refused to stop there. He would not give up. He was tenacious, God. And we're so grateful. Because there's a part of us that wants to quit. There's a part of us that wants to give up and stop trying and stop pushing and stop persevering, God. But if we're going to get to that place where we can actually accept what you've allowed into our lives, God. Accept it in a way that we're not bitter. Accept it in a way that we can actually get unstuck from the present and accept it in such a way that we can move forward and actually have a future rather than passively enduring the present. God, we're going to need your help. And we do have a vision, God, that you've given us just this morning. We want our witness, we want our story to support and to become part of it, integrate with the stories of Christians over the centuries who have found that even in the most difficult of circumstances, even when everything had fallen apart and there was no way forward, they found out the truth that your strength is made perfect in weakness. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray.